listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Businessman, racer, visionary. Roger S. Penske is all three an individual who combined his passion for racing with his keen eye for business to become one of the driving forces in American motorsports. Today, Penske is best known as a successful car owner and businessman. His resume includes 14 victories in the Indianapolis 500 and 57 NASCAR Nextel Cup Series wins. He's founder and chairman of Penske Corporation, a diversified transportation services company that manages businesses in excess of $17 billion dollars with 38,000 employees worldwide. In the beginning, though, Penske was a successful driver. A native of Shaker Heights, Ohio, he began racing at the age of 19 while he was studying industrial management at prestigious Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. After driving a Corvette at the Marlboro Driving School in Virginia and in amateur road races, he bought a Porsche RS from Bob Holbert for competition in Sports Car Club of America events. Penske quickly made his name. After finishing third in the 1959 SCCA National Championship standings, he won the F-Modified class in 1960 and established himself with Holbert and Walt Hasgen as America's top sports car racers. He was a two-time competitor in the United States Grand Prix, finishing in the top ten in the first Formula One races at Watkins Glen in 1961 and 1962. Penske made his mark in international competition by running commercial sponsorship on the side of his car, promoting DuPont antifreeze. Combining talent with ingenuity, Penske rebodied a wrecked Formula One Cooper Climax with aluminum bodywork to create the Xurex Duralite Special that he drove to seven victories and the 1962 United States Road Racing Championship, pocketing $34,000. In 1963, Penske won in his only NASCAR appearance, the Riverside 250, a Pacific Coast late model series race on the now defunct road California road circuit. Among his accolades was being named SCCA Driver of the Year by Sports Illustrated. Despite his success, Penske knew his future was in business. He hung up his helmet and retired from driving at the age of 28 in 1964, after winning all three Nassau Trophy races against a standout field that included Dan Gurney, A.J. Foyt, and Hanskin. Despite landing a ride with Jim Hall's Chaparral team, Penske bought out his partner and decided to concentrate on operating a Chevrolet dealership in Philadelphia. However, it would not take long for him to work motorsports into his growing business. Listeners, you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and we're live here in our own backyard at the Honda Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. I'm here with Mr. Roger Penske. Roger, I'd like to welcome you to uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, talk to me. I know you're real busy here at the St. Pete Grand Prix. 
Well, we're you know here with our new uh, Indy cars, uh, new engine, the Chevy, and uh, the new Delara. So our first uh, practice, our first day, turned out to be you know very strong for us with Will Power first, uh, uh, Briscoe second, and Elio I think fifth or sixth. So we had a real good, uh, real good day, and obviously that bodes well for the rest of the weekend. What do you think about the new car? Well, we love the new car. I think it, they look terrific. I was. Uh, really not sure but i see them on the racetrack you don't just see wheels you see the bodywork sponsor logos are key for us as we try to generate more you know income for the cars and i think the fans will like it i think they're safer which obviously that's probably my priority okay and the aerodynamics now with the new body and everything like that has that improved quite a well, bit well uh you know the car the aero downforce is better in fact the cars are faster on this circuit than they've been obviously the same in testing now see on the speedways you might have too much drag and they might have to take some off but overall uh, I think the arrow is good and we have, next year we have the opportunity to build an arrow package so we can take it to the next stage are you going to stay with Honda or are you going to try some of the other engines? No, I'm with Chevy you know, I'm Chevy and you know I've been a partner with Ilmore from the very beginning so we brought Chevy into the Indy racing and uh, we're back with them now so we're pretty excited okay to digress for a second um, I think is it the 213 season you're going to go with Ford and NASCAR yeah, that's correct. We have uh, committed uh, for 2013 to take uh, in our NASCAR team uh, with uh, Brad Keselowski and A.J. Allmendinger with the Ford team and uh, really join up, uh, you know, with Roush and Ford under their Ford One program where we can have some technology transfer and obviously uh, hope we can win a championship. Now, you have had relationships with Porsche, with, with Chevrolet, um, and some of the other manufacturers of all the companies that you work with, what kind of drives you to to switch over and associate yourself with with those marks? Well, I think uh, you know overall, uh, you know it depends on the situation. If it's a Porsche when they have a long distance program, you know we've been with Chevy at the very beginning when when they went into, into IndyCar, which we were probably made that happen with them. We partnered with Mercedes, uh, and we represent all of these brands in the retail automotive world so mm-hmm. it's a matter of what programs are available and are we a team that they feel could field a car competitively in a particular series so you know it's really a jump ball when it comes to the manufacturers uh, you know based on where their interests are in a particular series um i'd like to talk a little bit about your early days um when you first got it started i was reading an article here not so long ago and it said something about penske was involved with drag racing and there's a story about you driving your dad's buick uh back in the late 50s at some raceway in Ohio. Well, we used to go to the Akron drag strip. That's where Art Afron's had the first green monster uh, jet dragster. And uh, my dad had a 55 Buick Century, which uh, he used to take out and run the transmission out of it. Uh, so when he went to work on Monday mornings, it uh, wouldn't move out of the garage. But uh, those are the early days. And then I moved on into sports cars. All right, what was your motivation to get involved with sports cars? I mean, so you did very little then with drag racing then, right? Well, just as you know, as local, you would I couldn't do it on the streets uh, very well, so I did it on the track, and we had a track close to where we lived in Akron. But then uh, the opportunity to uh, you know get into sports car, got my license down at Marlboro, Maryland, uh, near Washington D.C., and then just uh, you know, worked my way through till we you know ran competitively in, in the bigger series. Now you raced in the United States, and then you did some racing over in Europe too, right? Well, I raced in the UK, racing against Sterling Moss and Jack Brabham, and those fellows beat them on the Bank Holiday race over there with our Zurich Special. And I drove with uh, Pedro Rodriguez uh, in Le Mans in 1963, and the Ferrari that won the race the year before. Now, when you race over there in Europe, were there there the there's always a consensus that the drivers in Europe have a different mindset than the drivers here in the United States. Did you find that it was more challenging to race against some of those drivers in Europe? No, I think, uh, you know, from a uh, overall standpoint, when I'm talking about, uh, you know, road racing, and we all were the same, and we didn't have the wide wheels and have some of the downforce we have today. We didn't understand the cars technically, but, uh, you know, all great drivers, uh, very friendly. It was a gentleman's sport, I think, as money's gotten into it uh, a little more dog eat dog. Okay. Now, when you were racing back in those days, how how active were you as a driver involved in the actual development and working on the cars and stuff? Well, we all worked on the cars in those days because we didn't have the money to have mechanics, and we towed the cars to the track with our own trailers and station wagons. And uh, you know, it was uh, you know pretty much a family affair. You had every, anybody you could pick up in the neighborhood to come and help you. But you know, as we got sponsorship and you know, obviously the commercial aspect of the business. Uh, you know, entered the, entered the uh, 
business, uh, you know, we obviously were then able to, you know, gain professional people who could help us in engineering, help us, uh, you know, run our equipment and obviously run the business. Now, in 1965, you made a transition, or 1966, I think, somewhere around that time, to quit racing and then you became a team owner, I believe, the following year because you were involved with the Chevrolet dealership. And uh, so what was the motivation there to, to make that transition as a team owner as opposed to driving? Outside well, of safety, and I think it, it was pretty apparent. Uh, I had the opportunity uh, to become a Chevrolet dealer. I had gone to work for George McKean in Philadelphia, and uh, part of the uh, responsibility, obviously, and, and interest was to be the dealer at some point. And you know, based on you know my track record and also approval from Chevrolet, was I could become a dealer as long as I wasn't a race driver because they wanted to see me, you know, in the store on, on Monday. So mm-hmm. I committed uh, that time to. You know, become a, a businessman and uh, gave up the racing and about three or four years later started my team so it was a short uh, space that I wasn't involved but at that point I made the right decision. In 1973 you were involved in Can-Am racing with the 917 Porsche and I was just at Amelia Island a couple weekends ago and a replica of that actually a 917 but a replica of your original car sold there recently. What was, Tell us about that car what made that car so outstanding? And there was a quote there by Mark Donahue saying that he thought that that was the perfect race car. Well, I think if you go back in time, there was no car that was better engineered. This was a 12-cylinder. It was really the, we had a 917.10. That was a 917.30 that was sold at Amelia Island here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and that car really was an evolution of a turbocharged vehicle. It had over 1,000 horsepower. And with the big wide wheels, they understood aerodynamics, a big wing on it. And I think that as Porsche has always done, they worked on reliability. And then at that point, we blew the McLarens off. And then, of course, they changed the rules. So uh, it was just a great race car easy to drive, very reliable, and of course, uh, you know, gave our team a lot of notoriety and a lot of wins. How much development did you guys actually do in the car, aside from Porsche? I mean, how, I mean you know, Porsche obviously was evolved from a mechanical standpoint, but you guys pretty much developed the car? Well, you know, when you look at the car, uh, you know, we Porsche's engineering people were involved. You know, we were the, giving them the feedback. We were working with them. Our people did all of the mechanical work and, and built the cars, put them together. But I'd have to give Porsche the credit. You know, for the drive line, for the engine, mm-hmm. the transmission, and obviously aerodynamics. There's no way we could take credit for that. We were the one that executed a plan. Uh, you know, on the racetrack. If you had to reflect back in terms of like when you were racing and team owner in the '60s and early '70s, what was what would be one of the most memorable races, competitive races that you uh, you did? Well, I think you know one of the very first great wins was with the Javelin uh, in the Trans Am in Bridgehampton. You have to put that down as. Uh, Know, probably a great win for 72 when we won our in our first uh, you know first Indy 500 with uh, with Mark Downey who was a, a special time but you know, every race has a, a special meaning and I think as we won with the uh, pushrod engine uh, with Mercedes uh, you know 1994 uh, winning at Sebring uh, with a Porsche Spider beating the Audis back uh, three or four years ago was it was a big day for us so you know it just goes on and on and on and seeing Rick Beers win his fourth. Indy 500, uh, they're all memorable, and obviously saying Harnish win the championship and win Indy and just go on and on and on. When you made the transition um, from General Motors to AMC, and was it 70, 71, right around that time? Yes. Okay, what was the motivating factor there with AMC? Because I think I was reading somewhere where you thought the AMC engine and car actually had some serious potential. Well, it, was, it was really a matter of support. I mean, AMC wanted to get into the business. We had people that could take that car. We engineered. You know, we put disc brakes on it. Traco did the engines, and we really had the experience from, you know, running the Camaros prior to that. So that was a business reason, uh, and I think uh, it certainly paid off because it gave us a chance to, to prove that we could do something, uh, you know, with a vehicle that we you're referred to as the captain often. May I ask where that name captain originated? I don't have any idea. Maybe when I was in, uh, in uh, when I went to uh, military school, I was a captain. Oh, really? Okay. Now you're involved in NASCAR and you're involved in Indy cars. And back in the old days, you were road racing and Can-Am. And now in the last two decades, you've kind of like. Uh, overlooked at it. I mean, you know, that's kind of like the one area you're not involved with, you know, let's say like the GT racing, GTP cars and stuff like that. Is there any of that in your potential future? Well, I think that we love the long distance racing. We like sports car road racing. Mm-hmm. And if we ever had a chance to join Porsche again, uh, Durheimer is over at Bentley now. If they'd ever want to do a Le Mans program and there's these eight international races, we'd love to field a team, you know, in that particular uh, sport. So, 
again, uh, you know, those are, again, opportunities. And depending on what we're committed on, can we really do it today with the commitment and people? We have almost 450 people involved in our race team today between NASCAR nationwide and obviously our test programs, our engine programs, and also the IndyCar with you know, running three cars, so it's, a, it's flat out. Do you have any intent? Well, listen, let me ask you this question. Everybody knows Roger Penske is Mr. Business. What does Roger Penske do for leisure? Do you have any hobbies? Well, I like to go to the races. I, I play <laughs> golf. Uh, oh, really? I like to ski. Snow ski? Yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm involved in Deer Valley out in Utah. I, all my family skis. So, you know, when we're not, uh, we're not racing, uh, we like to play golf and do a little skiing. Super. Now, do you collect any cars by any chance? The only cars that I have today are I have all my Indy winners. Okay. Uh, and they're a hundred point condition. They've all been put together as they were on race day, and we have the corresponding pace cars. So that would be my collection. Now, I had the fortune um, when I was in Scottsdale a couple months ago at the at your dealerships over there off of uh, Scottsdale Road. There's a Penske Museum over there. Yes. Is that the cars you're referring to? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that's basically open to the public, correct? Yes, it's open every day uh, for the public. It's you know it's a great way to, to show the cars, and uh, to me, it's better having them undercover someplace in a garage. Absolutely. Now, do you have any interest in any old cars? I mean, you know, collectible. I have a, I have a, a '55 uh, Mercedes Gullwing that's uh, okay. red. It's a perfect car. I ran it in the Miller Miglia a couple times, so that's my you know, that's my car, and I've got a. Okay. And what about the uh, Meadowbrook Concourse, since that's in your backyard, or now it's the same John's? I haven't, I haven't been there in a long time. I, when the Meadowbrook's going on, we're racing somewhere, so there's always, you know, some conflict. But uh, I was a judge in Pebble Beach for a number of years, so I've seen a lot of the great cars, and it's great to see today. It's like paintings. You know, these cars only get better and they're worth more. How about Eyes on Design? That's another event that they have there in Detroit. Do you ever participate in that? I have not, no. No, okay. Now, if you there's if you had if there's something out there that you wanted to kind of share with people, you know, just something you want people to know. Is there anything that you want to say that you want people to know about you? Well, I think uh, the one thing is that you know the the success we've had has really uh, been related to the good people, the commitment uh, we've had over many many years. We say when we go to Indianapolis, we have 600 years of experience, many people who work for us and are on our team, and I think that's paid off and uh, the commitment of the drivers and uh, our team has uh, you know, always been uh, cohesive I think you can see as we look at our NASCAR team this year with Almondinger and Kozlowski and Hornish uh, we've got some guys that you know care about the organization and want to make it better and you know, if, they, if one wins they all win I think that's key and uh, to me uh, you know, hard work uh, performance uh, and knocking on doors gets a sponsorship and uh, that's why we've been successful. Do you ever let the politics and racing uh, sway you one way or the other? I mean, is that how do you? What's your interpretation there? Sometimes. Well, politics and racing are always something that you're you know worried about. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, uh, we just uh, kind of drive through that. I mean, we, you know, I guess as Bill France told me a long time ago, if you don't like the rules, you don't have to come and race. So I kind of look at it that way. And uh, if it's the same, it's a level playing field for everybody else. We just go ahead and go. In your day when you were racing, who were some of the drivers that you looked up to? Well, you know, Dan Gurney, uh, you know, Sterling Moss, uh, uh, you know, there were some great guys that, uh, that I raced with, uh, uh, and then Graham Hill, you know, because we raced over in Europe, uh, these were guys that were, were just uh, the best, Parnelli Jones I raced wheel to wheel with, and you know, with a Pontiac, you know, out at the Riverside, at the race out there, and you know, racing the Chaparral against that crew and uh, winning at the uh, Riverside and also Laguna Seek. And then finishing up uh, my career in uh, racing at uh, Nassau, you know, was a big day. But at the end of the day, these are my friends. I think they respect our team and how we've, we've run run racing. And the main thing, we want people to go to work for us and know we'll give them a fair shake and an opportunity. That's, that's all I can offer. How do you compare the drivers back then, like yourself, compared to the drivers today? Well, be one? the drivers today, it's a, it's a big profession. There were more people that were, you know, were, were enthusiasts. They were amateurs. You know, today we're in the, we're in the, we're in the professional racing business. Uh, you know, people have agents. You know, they, they expect a certain amount of income to go racing, and uh, the best people command the best dollars. And it's just the way life is today. And I think what we have to do is is not always have the biggest checkbook, it's but have the best car.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, that, my friends, was a interview with the legendary Roger Penske. What an amazing individual. What an organization. He's just done a fantastic job since day one, since he's gotten involved in racing. And uh, I've been kind of following his career a little bit. I met him last year for the first time at the St. Pete Grand Prix. I got about a minute and 29 seconds with him to talk, and then we've been trying to get together to set up this interview for nearly a year now. So it just so happened that I was there Friday, and it happened to be the right time and the right place, and uh, I was honored to have Mr. Penske allow me the 15 minutes or so that I could spend with him in his office there, his mobile office at the St. Pete Grand Prix, and uh, share a few things. I mean, I had many more questions, but unfortunately, because of the uh, situation there with the races, and he was involved with a whole bunch of other stuff, and that was his main focus. So uh, I was very thankful just to get the few minutes that I did with him, and uh, my hat's off to him. And, of course, they won. So if you followed the race at all, I think they took first place, sixth, and eighth. I think those were the, uh, the positions that they took. So it was an exciting race. Uh, the other neat thing that took place at the uh, St. Pete Grand Prix was the Ferrari Challenge. That was the first time they've had those cars out there. And that was really cool because they had the state-of-the-art Ferrari 458. And those cars were extremely cool, extremely competitive, well set up. And uh, those cars are often referred to as probably the most perfect street-slash-race car that you can possibly buy right now. I mean, short of the Porsche GT3 cars. So Ferrari's done an excellent job. It should be real interesting. I mean, they've been very competitive on the racetrack out there in the LMS series against the Porsches, the Corvettes, the BMWs, which I think Ray Hall's team won Sebring in the uh, BMW, or in their class, which was similar. It was pretty exciting. As a matter of fact, Bobby Ray Hall was down there. So was uh, Don the Snake Perdome. He was down there, and I got to just hop out with a whole bunch of really cool people. These type of venues really allow people the opportunity to meet these uh, well-known legends and current modern-day uh, celebrities in the racing industry. So if you're a real big racing fan or a car fan or just want to meet some really cool people and hang out, those are the venues that you need to attend, as well as Amelia Island, Daytona, and Sebring, which is in our backyard, which is I think the one of the oldest racing tracks in the country. Okay, I think it was it actually started racing there. I think in 1948, 49. We've discussed this before, and then again, I think it officially began in 1952. Hence, I think we had the 60th running of the 12 hour of, of Sebring. So that was cool. Hey, a couple of quick updates this weekend, starting. Friday evening is the Festivals of Speed in St. Petersburg, okay? So on Friday night, they've got the big Jetport Lifestyles event, okay? There's going to be some really cool planes down there. There's going to be some wild cars down there, some very interesting personalities as usual. They've got some boats down on the waterfront, so that's really cool. So that'll be down there basically at the Vinoy Park area. And then Saturday, they're going to have the poker run. So now, if you're a boat enthusiast, you'll get a chance to see some really wicked offshore boats. I mean, some of these pleasure boats, these offshore boats... 
Uh, you've heard me discuss this before. They're running 150 to 180 miles an hour in a pleasure boat. That's mind-boggling. I mean, granted, they're 45, 50 feet long, and they've got probably 2,000 horsepower, as in the case of our local friend of ours and builder, Todd Warner, well-noted car collector, but he builds the statement boats. Here's a plug for you, Todd. And uh, he's our turbine-powered, okay, as in helicopter turbines. So... They, and he's got them toned down a little bit, So, but his boat's capable. I think the record for his boat is 190 on the water. That's just mind-boggling. I mean, you know, when you think about that. You know, race car guys, they're strapped in, bolted into the car, basically, and they're running, you know, a couple hundred miles an hour. Here you are in a pleasure boat, attaining speeds almost nearly as fast on the water. That's amazing. It really is. It's kind of, uh, I mean, I've got 110 in a boat before. Mm, okay, but another 70, 80 miles an hour. That might get my attention. And let's see what else we got. Oh, yeah, next week in the West Palm Beach area, we've got Bear Jackson, so be sure and attend that. Don't forget, we have Sunday is also the Sumter County Fairgrounds swap meet. So all you uh, parts junkies like me will probably be up there if you're not at the Festivals of Speed. Or if you hurry, you can go to Sumter County and start roaming and pillaging the uh, swap meet area and then hurry up and get back down to St. Pete and go watch the uh, cool cars that will be there on Sunday because Sunday is the big day for the Festivals of Speed. That's the day they have all the cars out on the lawn. They have all the Ferraris, the Lamborghinis, and uh, the real high-end exotics, Aston Martins. And, and then over on the collector side, you're going to see Shelby Mustangs, some Boss Mustangs, some Torino Cobras. You'll see some Z28s, some Chevelles. You'll see some GTOs. You're going to see some GTXs, some Roadrunners. There'll be all kinds of American muscle cars down there. And there's going to be some foreign stuff. You'll see some MGs, MGAs. You're going to see some Heelys. You're going to see some Jaguars. You're going to see some Porsches. A lot of cool vintage stuff. There's going to be some vintage motorcycles down there, dirt bikes and street bikes, as well as some wooden boats. So this is definitely an event that you don't want to miss. You know, then uh, Todd Warner will probably bring his uh, drag race collection down there. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I think last year they had somewhere between ten and 12,000 people attended the uh, St. Petersburg Festivals of Speed. So hopefully I'll see you guys down there. Okay. And don't forget, in the fall, or actually December 3rd, I think that's the exact date, at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando is another Festivals of Speed. And this is the big one. This is the one where they're going to have the Concours, the first year for the Concours. They're going to have an auction there, collect a car auction, first quality cars. And, of course, the Festivals of Speed, which will be basically exotic cars, exotic motorcycles, exotic boats, and then, of course, a car show for the... Uh, Guys like you and I out there. So there'll be a lot of contemporary stuff out there, and there'll be some vintage stuff, so it should be a lot of fun. Let me take an opportunity here for a couple shout-outs. I want to say a big hello to my friends over at Fields BMW. Okay, the big G-man, Gary Gordon over there at Fields BMW. Give him a call if you're looking for a BMW, and their number over there is 863-816-1234, and that is uh, in Lakeland, Florida. As a matter of fact, I think next week, the beginning of the month, they're commencing construction of the new Mercedes-Benz dealership. Fields Mercedes will be across the street on I-4. So as you're going down the I-4 corridor, heading towards Orlando, on the right side, you'll see the new Mercedes-Benz dealership going in, and on the left side, you will see the Fields BMW store, okay? And the mini store. I think they got a mini store there as well. So and that should be uh, exciting for Fields BMW. Also, my friends down at Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection, if you need your classic collectible car worked on, or your inboard ski boat, or any inboard that you might own, give them a call down there. Give my friend Dom Forte at Inboard Auto Connection, Forte's Inboard Auto Connection, a call, 727-544-6440. And don't forget my buddy Doug, who's making my decals and my banners. Okay, Doug at the sign shop on Madeira Beach. Give him a call if you need signs and banners and little things like that. 727-392-4852. 727-392-4852. And, of course, we can't forget our good friends over there, Mark and John, who are also down at the St. Pete Grand Prix with me at Cop Cars Online. So if you need a uh, cruiser, a squad car, any type of law enforcement vehicle for any kind of business or for whatever purposes you need. They might be security business or you just want something really cool that's, uh, you know, kind of cop car oriented. Give them a call over at 727-536-2677. That's 727-536-2677. And then our friends over at Vintage Motorsport Magazine. That's Tammy Boyette. Okay. If you're into, if you want to get hooked up with the latest and greatest as to what's going on in the vintage car, okay, as far as all the races that are going on, whether it's HSR, whether it's uh, SVRA, go to Vintage motorsport.com and check out the latest there and also since i've been riding here occasionally for a sports car market if you want the latest and greatest on really cool classic cars and all the updates the auction results on all the auctions that are taking place actually around the world i mean they got a pretty good staff that goes out there and researches a lot of this stuff 
And I've been fortunate enough to work uh, Hollywood car auctions. I worked Russo and Steel, and I just came back from uh, the Gooding Auction in Orlando, in uh, Amelia Island. So uh, be sure and pick up Sports Car Market or visit them online, and you can get all the latest updates. And it'll give you a pretty good idea as to what the values of some of these cars are and the trends. For example, right now, I've got to tell you that the high, high-end market, I mean, the Ferraris, the rare race cars, um, the vintage Porsche, Duesenbergs, pre-war classics, Auburns, Packards, really, really rare stuff, and limited body, limited production cars, Bentleys, Rolls Royces, all those cars, that market is extremely strong. I mean, it's up probably between 15 and 20% over last year. The very, very rare cars seem to be doing very, very well. Of course, the high end of the market's not really affected. And uh, I'm not quite so sure, you know, why it's like that. I mean, I wrote a little article about it, and I'm not sure if it's just, you know, true enthusiasm, uh, if it's a better place to put your money nowadays, or if it's just simply a couple of guys getting together and it's like bragging rights. I'm not sure. But all I can tell you is that end of the market's doing real strong. Lower end of the market, the ten to $25,000 range, those cars seem to be doing okay. So your basic Mustangs, your Roadrunners, you know, your GTOs, your Chevelles, you know, your low horsepower stuff, still big block stuff. That's that's still flourishing. I mean, they're still doing okay. So between twenty to thirty thousand dollars, you can get yourself a good, good old American muscle car. Your Mustangs, uh, your Camaros. The Mustangs are between fifteen and twenty-five thousand right now. That's kind of where they're hanging out at. You know, for a nice sixty-five to seventy fastback. You know, ex- ruling out or not uh, not including you know, say Boss three hundred twos, Boss four twenty nine, Z twenty eights, and stuff like that, because those cars are still enough. Half a buck range, you know, fifty thousand, forty thousand, seventy thousand. They're all over the board. You're real rare. LS6 cars, your real rare 440 cars, all your Hemi cars are still approaching 100. Your Shelbys, uh, they're exceedingly high still. They're in the hundreds. Uh, unless you buy a project car, they'll be about 50, 60 grand. But uh, so you're, 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 it's, it's still a good time to buy these cars. I think the market is down just a little bit on those. So probably more towards a realistic number. So those cars are very attainable, very affordable. And yet you can still go out there and buy yourself your basic, uh, you know, 65, 66 Mustang under 10 grand. You can buy a nice little old Scutless. Uh, for under ten grand, you can find a, a Pontiac Le Mans for under ten grand. So a lot of those cars are out there. And then if you like foreign cars, you know you can find some MGBs, you can find some Triumph TR6s. You know those cars are under ten thousand dollars, and they're pretty decent buys. You know, so if you want something pre nineteen seventy two, you know, kind of check out the market a little bit for those. You know, wander around on cars online or auto trader or craigslist or someplace like that and you could probably find those kind of cars because they are out there and the neat thing about those cars is they're not that expensive to fix they're not a, that expensive to maintain and, and keep on the road and you can still have a blast with them so we want everybody out there to have a good time try to attend as many shows as possible get yourself a classic car it's a lot of fun get your family involved you know the real bargain really is four-door cars you know now a lot of people don't necessarily get attracted to four-door cars i'm not a big you know four-door car fan but wagons that's the one everybody seems to overlook. Wagons are extremely popular. So if you really don't like the sedan look of a four-door, get yourself a wagon because a wagon is always something you can do really cool. I mean, think about it. It's really, you know, if you drive an SUV nowadays, okay, that's essentially what a wagon was about 40, 50 years ago. You know, I mean, you drive your big Mercury wagon or your big Galaxy or big Chevrolet Kingswood Estate or something like that or um, the big Pontiac, big Dodge, Polaro wagon. That's essentially what they were. You know, they were 18 feet long and they were full size cars and they had room for nine people, you know, comfortably. Well, that's essentially what an, an SUV does today. But, you know, here you could have something really cool, classic that's American, domestic. You know, it's your basic V8, easy to fix. Uh, you can still run it on pump gas, you know, probably regular or 93 octane and, and still have a lot of fun. Hey, Cedric, we got, uh, what do we got queued up there? We got a uh, song sitting around there? We have a classic song here. Let's play this classic song. I'll tell you why we'll play this song, because uh, Roger Penske, one of his first race cars, was a 1957 Corvette, and that's what he took to school at Marlboro Raceway, which uh, is no longer there anymore. But uh, So he got his license and did a couple of his first SCCA runs in a uh, 57 Corvette, and then he moved up to, uh, actually bought Bob Holbert's uh, Porsche Spider. And that's when he started getting real competitive, and he just had a natural talent for it. So, again, my hat's off to Mr. Roger Penske. But uh, let's go with that uh, little song, and then we'll roll into that little clip that we got prepared.
no cruise ship created quite as much stir down at the dock as did the arrival of the TMT San Juan. The huge freighter carried in its hold a precious cargo brought here but once each year and defined the appeal of a tropical vacation. But no cruise ship created quite as much stir down at the dock as did the arrival of the TMT San Juan. The huge freighter carried in its hold a precious cargo brought here but once each year at the beginning of the tourist season. The locals knew all about that cargo and couldn't wait to get a glimpse of the exotic sports cars imported for Nassau Speed Weeks and its premier event, the Nassau Trophy Race. Speed Weeks was tourist promotion, pure and simple. The objective was to get folks to the islands and get them spending money. If racing Exotica could accomplish that, then let's have a race. But that motive in no way detracted from the difficulty of the course or the quality of the competition. Let's go out to the circuit where pit reporter John Traviesco talked with one of the pre-race favorites. Well, I think I've got some real tough competition this year from Dan Gurney and Walt Hanskin, Bruce McLaren. I think it's going to be a terrific race. As you know, Nassau is a course that it really takes toll on the automobiles. And I think it, uh, it might someone might surprise us today and win it that we never even heard of because of the mortality rate of the automobiles. I think Jim has done a great job on the chaparrales, and we feel very confident they will last. And I think if they do, we should be up there. You've already had a bit of trouble. Didn't you uh, break something and lose a wheel? Well, actually, uh, I had I hit one of the small stones out on the course and it popped the lower ball joint out of the suspension but this was fixed very easily among those hoping to challenge roger penske in the chaparral was american racing legend a.j foyt who'd been up all night working on his hussein one a.j was racing for john meekham who brought five cars here before the end of practice he was down to two back then a.j was among a handful of drivers well known to the average american sports fan then, as now, the three major networks devoted most of their coverage to the stick-and-ball sports and only occasionally found their way to the racetracks. NBC's Jim Simpson drew the assignment of trying to make some sense out of the Nassau Trophy race. This race begins with the Le Mans start. It's tricky, and the drivers practice to get a down pat. Now, this is the way it works. The cars are lined up on one side of the road. The drivers are on the other. At the signal, the drivers sprint to their cars, leap in, buckle their seatbelts, start the car, and away they go. You'd be surprised how quickly they can get underway, especially when you consider most of them are wearing their shoulder-type safety belts. And because of that, for this race only, the officials are permitting one member of the pit crew to help strap the driver into the car. Well, it is beginning to rain. One huge black cloud has moved from the ocean over the course. That's a shame. It wasn't supposed to rain. A lot of the drivers probably have not had a chance to change to rain tires, and we could have some wicked driving conditions. It could mean there'll be a lot of slipping and sliding, and it could mean also that the more powerful cars, like Ports Hussein, McLaren's Olds, and the Chaparrales, well, their conditions won't be exactly right. There's number 10, the car of Pedro Rodriguez, who is driving a 4-liter Ferrari. The Ferraris, by the way, the Porsches, and some of the lighter, less powerful cars can really go in the rain. Just a few seconds now to the start, the drivers are in position. It is still raining. Not a heavy rain, but enough to put a glaze, a slippery glaze of water on the track. There's the flag. The Nassau Trophy race is underway.
fifth straight. It's the end of the first lap. The leader, half sharp in the Chaparral. Pedro Rodriguez of Ferrari number 10 down Simonette Street, heading for the British Colonial Loop. Rodriguez of Mexico City, a great driver in a Ferrari sports car, with a good chance to win this race if the rain keeps up. Rodriguez is just a few seconds behind Sharp, and he is challenging. Well, it is raining. The lap times are slow, but the leaders, nevertheless, you can see as they come around the corner, are beginning to lap the slower drivers. Rodriguez is narrowing the gap. As we said, Ferraris are more steady in the rain, and that, by the way, automatic transmission on the Chaparral could be a disadvantage because it increases the wheel spin. And in this race, many of the favorites are still back in the pack. We haven't seen Roger Penske, and he was the one who made a good start. As part of the power, Cobras are doing all right. A.J. Ford and Hussein is having problems with his powerful Dodge engine car. Hussein is the most powerful car in the race, but it's got a lot of wheel spin. It fortifies that power, and with the slippery track, it's not good. Penske now through the powdered house corner. He's pursued by Bruce McLaren and his old. Bruce's car number five is new, but apparently going well. Dan Gurney in a Ford-powered Lotus 19. He got a bad start, but he's moving up. There's the first wreck. It is number 64, Hugh Dibley, in a Brabham BT8 Climax, and he's out. The rain is beginning to take its toll. There's Roger Penske off the road. He apparently is out of the race. There goes half-sharp five, and look at Penske put his thumbs up, asking him to go on. Rodriguez is pressing sharp, though. suspension so it put my put me out of the race okay john but here's the development look at this number one aj ford is coming into the pits again there's one of the world's great race drivers and he's looking at his carburetors the chief mechanic is uh, john pulp this will hurt in his efforts to win this race must make one pit stop. There's John Meekum, but uh, A.J. did not mean to make this pit stop. Half-Sharp is making some kind of signs at the pits, and it may be that he'll be asking Roger Penske to take over for him since the rain is letting up. Here comes Dan Gurney. Half sharp, he's into the pits, and here comes your driver change. Remember, it has stopped raining now, and Penske can drive very well on a dry course. Sharp, who drives very well on the rain, has given up his car to it. Sharp. And of course, he's a member of the team along with Penske, and he, along with owner Jim Hall, wants very much to win this race. There is Roger Penske, very close to victory in Nassau Speed Week's biggest race in a Chevy Chaparral, owned by Jim Hall. Still looks concerned. This race isn't over yet. Yesterday, Roger had one of the Marcus, a knock suspension arrive, but he is driving all right now. Tap Sharp started out in his car. Roger Petsky's going to wind up in it. Moments to go before victory lap.
on. And look at Jim Hall. Is he happy? Second is Bruce McLaren. Third is Pedro Rodriguez in a Ferrari. And Tom Grossman, also in a Ferrari, is fourth. But what a wonderful victory for Jim Hall in the Chaparral car. We started out with him back in Texas. We've come to Nassau, and his cars have won. And despite the fact that only one finished, it's the right one. Here comes Roger Penske. His average, over 252 miles, or better than 89 miles an hour. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and that was a live play-by-play of the 1964 Nassau Trophy race, races that took place. Penske won all three of those events, okay? And uh, yes, the Shelby was involved. Uh, Bob Johnson, who I met many, many years ago, unfortunately, he's not with us. He's up at the big racetrack in the sky, but uh, he was at that track, and he placed, I think, somewhere within the first 10. Uh, That was also the first year that Ford and Shelby experimented with the first big block, Cobra. And that car was referred to as the flip top or as Ken Miles, to quote Ken Miles, he called the car the turd because it was so ill-handling and so slow. It was a basically a uh, 390 motor, a NASCAR 390 motor, supposedly an aluminum block motor with aluminum heads. Uh, it was something that they just whipped together real quick. You know, Ken Miles was used to running the 289 cars, and he was very successful at that. But since they were trying to test this uh, new car for the 65 season, because that's when the uh, 427 Cobras were about ready to unleash and just destroy everything in its path, which it did, 65, 66, competition-wise. Uh, but the flip-top uh, Cobra did not do very well. The 390 came... Uh, uh, actually, the motor, I think, held up, but the car just kind of like uh, had a few issues with it. So anyway, so I hope you enjoyed that. It's kind of like a little tribute show to uh, Roger Penske. While we were listening to uh, that fine uh, show there, uh, I was just snooping around in this uh, little pocket price guide that I have here. American Car Collector and Sports Car Market, there's basically the same publications done by Keith Martin, and they're based out of, uh, I think, Oregon. And uh, they got a little pocket guide that you can buy. So if you go to their website, uh, sportscarmarket.com or American Car Collector, you can pick this little jewel up. But I wrote down some prices, so I wasn't too far off. For example, in 69, okay, the 69 vintage cars, a 1969 Chevelle, let's say just your regular 350 horse, 396 car, 24 to 30,000, 35,000 is what those cars are selling for, you know, float through, depending on condition, of course. Uh, your 69 Torino GTs, the 390 cars, 20 to 30,000, that's their price range. Uh, 442s, uh, not W30s or anything like that, but just say your base 442 1969 is about a 15 to $25,000 car. Um, 69 Roadrunners, um, the real popular car, you know, a 383 four-speed car. And keep in mind, I'm referring to cars that generally stick. I always tell everybody buy a stick. you got to have a four-hooker or a handshaker in your car. Otherwise, it just has no value. That's what muscle cars were all about. It's four-speeds, banging gears, and lighting the tires up, you know. I can tell you that for a fact because that's what I used to do. But anyway, so a uh, 69 Roadrunner. 383 four-speed car, you know, twenty to $30,000. That's the price range that they're in. You know, 440 is a little bit more. Obviously, if you get a six-pack car, which would be a 69-and-a-half car, which would be a little bit more, and a Hemi, and so on and so on. Actually, Hemi cars are still hanging around seventy to hundred grand, so they're just they're still doing pretty good. 69 GTOs, 23000 to 30000 35000 you know, for a nice 69 GOAT. Good-looking car. You could either get a straight headlight car or you could get a flip-flop headlight car in 69, depending on the option. Uh, again, you got to get a four-speed. Bench seat four-speed cars seem to be doing pretty well okay uh typically you know a deluxe car had bench seat i mean i had a bucket set of bucket seats in it a console four speed you know factory tack and stuff like that so those are the things that you kind of some of the features that you would look for in a car but a bench seat four speed car is pretty a pretty crude little car that's what uh you know when you walked in the showroom back in 1969 1970 or something like that and you just wanted to go fast car that's all you that's all that mattered to you radio delete heater delete you know beanies and uh, steelies four speed big motor Posse, and uh, you were all set. You know, you were tearing up the streets with that. And street racing, which is a lot of fun, is something I used to do a lot of back in the day. And street racing is no longer fun because nowadays what they do is they confiscate your car. You know, so that's not a lot of fun. So try to keep it at the track. And uh, we've got uh, Sunshine Speedway, which is now under new ownership. Bob down at Yoho's is taking that over. We'll get some information on that. We'll pass that along. I think they're going to be doing their test and tunes on Wednesday nights, which I think they've suspended that temporarily. But that's an eighth mile track. And then, of course, if you want to haul your car down, 
down on your trailer behind your 1969 Kingswood Estate 454 station wagon, well, then you need to go to DeSoto down there off 64 because that is a full-blown quarter-mile track, NHRA sanctioned. And those are the two closest tracks around here. And uh, I think they're doing something with Lakeland. Lakeland International Raceway slash, you know, it's a rounding round track slash drag strip. I think that's under new ownership too. So that will be coming back to life and uh, that'll be a cool place. So all those tracks are within uh, a 40-minute run, 50-minute run, an hour, something like that. And that should be a lot of fun. So that's where you want to do your racing nowadays. Like I said, back in the old days, just like in the movies, um, you know, street racing was a lot of fun. You just saw somebody, you're going opposite directions. You go, boom, the other guy go, boom. Next thing you know, all right, you go back a block or two down the road. You turn around, kind of got side by side and light turned green and away you went. All you heard was tires boiling and gears banging and it was a lot of fun. No longer possible to do that kind of stuff. But at any rate, so let's see what else we got going on here. Uh, oh, yeah, I want to talk about. The, back to the classic cars. If you guys are in the market for a classic car, if you guys need someone professional to take a look at your car, keep in mind, I do advertise this on my show from time to time, but I have a company, and what I do is I go around and do pre-purchase inspections. I do uh, appraisals, and, of course, I do diminished values. The diminished values, thats uh, we'll get into that some other time. That usually pertains to late-model cars or high-dollar cars, and that's the difference between when the car was crashed, what the car's worth, and what you will net in terms of the difference. Okay, But uh, give me a call, 727-541-1741. That's 727-541-1741, and I will be glad to help you out with a purchase of a classic car, a collectible car of any kind, or I will do an appraisal for you. Also, while we're on the subject of appraisals, uh, let me give you a big shout-out to my friends over at Heacock & Insurance. That's a collector car insurance company over in Lakeland. Their number is 877-678-5173. That's 877-678-5173. Give my friend Pete Dorguzzi a call over at Heacock Insurance. They can bring you up to speed on the right kind of insurance to have for your prize collectible car. Okay. And uh, how are we doing on time, Cedric? I got one minute left. Okay. Well, anyway... Don't forget, we got Festivals of Speed this week. We've got Sumter County Sunday. Next week is Bear Jackson. And I will bring you up to speed on any of the other events that are going to take place here. Cedric, thanks for hanging out today and helping me on the radio show. Everybody else, I want you guys to drive carefully, stay safe, love your family. And uh, I will be strolling around at some of these events. Look forward to seeing you guys. Oh, and you're going to be on uh, Oh, yeah, on one more thing. Friday we, night. On Friday night, we've got... It's a Cedric Harris show. It's Cedric Harris show and Beach Rock Beach Radio. Rock Radio, yeah. If you want to tune in some really groovy music, 60s, 70s, psychedelic stuff, tune in Fridays at 11 o'clock. <laughs>